and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and I really like submarines. I'm Aaliyah, and I've spent my whole life in a suburb. I'm Kristen, and I like eating sub sandwiches. I'm Cameron, and I'm going to get around to playing Subnautica eventually. So this week, we are talking about subplots, but before we get started, I just wanted to say welcome back to Kristen, who left us for the whole summer. Yes, I did, and it was amazing. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm not over it. I'm still just thinking that she's a punk, unfortunately. I invited you guys to come to England to see Megan's wedding dress. (laughs) It's on display at Windsor Castle. Does it count if it's after the fact? I don't know. All right, and also, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary as a podcast. Woohoo! We Yay. should have little confetti. Boo doo doo things. I'm not quite sure I caught that. Can you, can you do that? Again? <laughs> one time, one time only. <laughs> so, subplots. We are going to just start by talking about what a subplot is because I think Kristen wants to talk about that. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin, for calling me up. When we, when we chose this topic, I was like, oh, subplots. I totally understand what those are. And then the more I thought about them, I was like, if you can picture kind of like that meme with like the woman and it's got like the numbers and the letters all over her face, that's what I was feeling like. If you know what I'm talking about, there's a name for that meme, but it's not coming <laughs> to me. Anyway, yeah, so a subplot is a part of a story that is not relevant to your main plot, except it is. <laughs> Please, somebody help me would out it, here. <laughs> would it be better to say that maybe a subplot is something that isn't, like, the centerpiece of what's going on? It's not the main story. It's the sub-story. So it has less screen time. So, like, a submarine is still in the ocean, right? It's just not on the surface. Oh, I don't know if I that mean, actually works, <laughs> but I'll go for it. If, 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 like, if, like, the ocean's the plot, you're going to pay attention... Assuming you're also on the surface, you're going to pay attention. Like, the main event is, like, the aircraft carrier on the surface. Oh, okay. I can get That's behind But that. if you don't pay attention to the submarine, it's going to nuke you. There you go. Wow. Mm-hmm. Those that are the best a dark subplots. <laughs> I think we should start with how do you even write a subplot at all? Because I feel like that seems like an important thing. And I think, for me anyway, one of my biggest problems is that when I'm writing, I get so focused on the main plot that my subplots tend to be very reedy and thin. But I think that the best books have subplots that are really integral to the main plot, like Cameron was saying, where better watch out because they're going to really affect your aircraft carrier. We're going to roll with this metaphor because (laughs) I can't think of a better one. And so like I was thinking of one of my favorite books that I mention quite often and it's not Six of Crows. It's actually The Winner's Crime, which is the second book in The Winner's Trilogy. You kind of have two plots going on here. There's one where Arn and Kestrel are deeply, madly, terribly in love and cannot let the other know because of war reasons. And I think the romance is really the center plot. But there's another plot there that is also really important and it's involving let's see spies war murder and poison not to get spoilery but like it's really important but the one that you're really rooting for is the romance but either way whichever whatever happens in either plot will end up affecting the other and so it it becomes kind of like this nice intertwining which i think is what we want really to happen with subplots and real plots they work together to give you your end when you were talking about this just in our, our notes it made me think of My Plain Jane, which I just read. And the main plot of that book revolves around seeing ghosts and this girl who lives in this house. And there's this guy who's, you know, Mr. Rochester. And thank goodness in this book that Birth they... and Jane, I'm telling you. <laughs> the main plot revolves around this, well, two characters. The character of Charlotte Bronte, who is Jane's friend. And then Jane, which is very different from the original, by the way. Because Charlotte <laughs> Bronte actually wrote Jane Eyre, just in case you didn't know. But the subplot of 
ghosts and how they're being used and how they're being caught and stuff like that is something that's kind of like an undertone throughout the beginning of the book all the way until the climax when it becomes this big thing and it raises the stakes really far but up until that part it it wasn't the main thing it wasn't the main thing on screen it was like a little question mark in the back of our minds I think people probably naturally do this like I almost feel like for me I need to get rid of subplots because they make my books too long and depending on what genre you're writing you don't have room for some subplots like if you're writing a YA book usually there's the main plot and a romance plot and maybe another side plot but you don't really have room for a whole lot more than that. And if you're writing middle grade, if you think about the book Fablehaven, it's pretty linear. You have kids, mm-hmm. they discover fairies. There's like kind of this little side thing where they realize, sorry, spoilers, this book has been out forever, that the witch in the woods is actually this really powerful thing, but they don't find out about it until after they let her go. And then they have to fight the monsters because grandma and grandpa aren't there. You don't deviate very far. So this might not always be true, but I'm going to say it like it is because it sounds better that way. <laughs> that a good subplot is indistinguishable from foreshadowing. An example I'm going to use, it seems like like romantic subplots are something we talk about a lot, but I'm thinking I'm thinking Ellen and Vin from Mistborn in that there's this whole romantic subplot that doesn't have anything really directly to do with the main plot of overthrowing the Lord Ruler. We're going lots of spoilers in here. And it's like initially like her relationship with this guy is a problem because he's the enemy, but eventually becomes like this foreshadowing. It's like, oh, he wants to be a reformer. And then like later, on because of this relationship he's in a position to become king and like it becomes a big deal later on yeah so so that's an important point that subplot is it's really subtle and really good because it didn't happen to a main character but he only later became a main character so i know like for me when i'm writing subplots i like to look at the different characters that i'm not using and give them a life too and it allows you to continue writing in the same world a lot of times like, mm-hmm. if you write series, your subplot then becomes your main plot, like Ellen over here. Can I throw out another one? I gotta do my Jurassic Park one. Let's hear it. I'm gonna talk more about the film, because that one's sticking more in my brain for this one. But you have the main plot, which is we need some specialists to come in and sign off on the park because it turns out dinosaurs are way dangerous <laughs> and the investors are nervous. That's the main plot. The There's a subplot that starts in the very opening scene. This poor park worker gets eaten by a velociraptor. And then very soon thereafter, you have another scene where Dr. Grant who's digging up bones of a raptor, scares this poor kid half to death with, you know, these things, if they were alive, would totally eat you. And then you have even further escalation where you have, oh, you bred a T-Rex, oh, that's cool. Oh, you bred raptors, that might be a problem. And you have the next scene where it's like, <laughs> oh, this is what the raptors are doing to, like, like the, the equipment that you're feeding them with. They're ripping it apart. This could be a problem. And then you have even further escalation when Nedry shuts off the power to the park. Even he's smart enough to leave the power to the raptor's cage on, right? Mm-hmm. And then... When they shut down the park system in an attempt to get the rest of the power back on, it turns off the power of the raptor cage. And all of a sudden, this subplot that's been running the entire length of the film becomes the main plot. And it nukes you. And it nukes you. (laughs) The raptors come out, and they start eating people, and it's fabulous. I think that's a really good point, but I think also now that I'm thinking about more, not all subplots necessarily have to nuke you. Sometimes they just kind of nudge your boat in the right direction of getting nuked. Where so I- <laughs> <laughs> They nudge you and then something else nukes you. Yeah, well, yeah, like I'm thinking of like Pride and Prejudice, right? So you've got the main plot, I would say, is Elizabeth and Darcy. But then you've got the subplot of Lydia running off with Wickham and it's a big deal. And Mr. Darcy is the solution because he's like, hey, I'm going to fix this. And that manages to showcase his character but it also nudges elizabeth towards like hey mr darcy's a good guy maybe i do love him and so it 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 affects the outcome even if it's not the direct outcome if that makes sense i feel like subplots either complicate things or they resolve things and in that case Mm -hmm. it resolved it it might have gotten resolved otherwise but it was the catalyst that then resolved 
the main plot. So then, because I'm just going to keep confusing myself. So what would you say is the difference between just a general part of your main plot and like a subplot? Because I'm thinking of Harry Potter, right? Prisoner of Azkaban. There's a million things happening in this book. You've got this thing about Harry struggling with Dementors. Then there's a thing about Hermione always being late to her classes and Ron and Harry being like, whoa, what's up with her? And then there's a thing about Crookshanes versus Scabbers and how that affects Ron and Hermione's friendship. And then there's a thing about Sirius Black having broken out of Azkaban and maybe being after Harry. And so in, in the climax, all of those end up combining. So are they part of the main plot or are they subplots that just play out in well, the it's, end? Well, it's all one ocean with an aircraft carrier on it. So I would say that a subplot is a recognizable thread or story element that you can describe the way you were describing. Like, it's like the Dementor stuff, and you can list the number of scenes that are about the Dementors. See, The Prisoner of Azkaban is a really interesting example, because they all come together in really equal measure at the end. I feel like mm-hmm. most of the time, there's a more identifiable, overriding main thing. You disagree? I actually will argue with you. I feel like the main plot of that book is The Prisoner of Azkaban. Serious. He's, yes. He's the thing that everybody's worried about through the whole thing. I mean, right at the very beginning, Harry runs away from home. Sorry if you haven't read this book, but you should. So. <laughs> it it's is, been it's out been for, for 20 minute. years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then you have, like, the grim side plot where mm-hmm. he thinks he's going to die. And, like, it's all serious in the, the background. The divination side plot. Yeah, exactly. That's true. The, the, the Dementors are caused because Sirius. And so I take it back. I agree. Because Sirius is the main takeaway of that book. Yeah. And then so. I think that she handles all of her subplots really, really well because they do all come in. Like the Crookshank Scabbers mm-hmm. thing. That and Ron and Hermione's relationship. That sets up a plot for, like, later books. Yeah, like, they're... Well, they won't. They crap. Why did she end up with Ron? My goodness. No, it's perfect. I won't hear a word against them. Even Ron, the actor, doesn't believe in them. So there you Who go. Who cares about well, Rupert Grint? That's the true. The actor thinks it. it must I, be know, I know. Anyway. Death of the no actor. No offense, Rupert. Death of the <laughs> actor. Doesn't matter. Um, but I think that she uses all of those little subplots, and then she ties them all back in. She doesn't leave any of them hanging yeah. so that they don't have meaning that none of it's just fluff for like character development or whatever and character development is not fluff but if you can tie it back into your main plot then it's a subplot that i feel like succeeds really well yeah i feel like in order for it to qualify as a good subplot it has to do something for the plot like you were talking about earlier so while character i guess development is great if it doesn't move things forward it kind of is just that that lint under the couch the lint under the couch it's it's like a side quest that everybody's kind of like why did you do that and why did i have to read about it i mean Mm -hmm. some people love side quests and they're great in video games because it's about playing and stuff no No, they're not great in video games (laughs) sorry i was just gonna try (laughs) to reach out it didn't work it's a matter of debate okay 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 anyway that's that's my view on subplots (laughs) well because you don't want to lose steam from your main plot so you don't want to dis- distract from it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A website I was looking at said that the thing about subplots is that you just make sure all of your characters, even the side ones, have a goal, an obstacle, and an outcome. And that when you're choosing in those things, you can basically end up with a whole host of subplots because if like one of your side characters is more invested in money than the deal, then you're going to have some hashing problems going on between them solo, which I like because it's a heist movie. I think maybe that simplifies a little too much because I don't think... You always need a different character to be the font of your subplot. But I do think that if you just switch your character's goal, there can be a different subplot. So I'm thinking of like Children of Blood and Bone, which I might spoil slightly. Not terribly, because I think you find out about two of these things pretty quickly. Main story, main plot is Zellier. I don't know if that's how you say her name, because I haven't 
heard anyone say it out loud. She is needing to restore magic. And then there's a subplot of Inan struggling with coming to terms with the fact that he has magic, which is a big no-no. And then there's also a subplot of Zelia having a thing for Inan. And so there's a subplot with a different character, but there's also a subplot with the main characters clashing and competing goals. And then it works out pretty well. I kind of want to talk about what subplots can or can't do for you, because I feel like they can be a tempering influence on stuff. Like, I have been listening to Chuck in the background. I love Chuck. Chuck is so fun. But Zachary Levi. (laughs) I know, I always think Flynn Rider. Yeah. But I think one thing that that, in most of those episodes and like throughout the whole series you have the main spy plot and Chuck's like am I a spy or am I not a spy do I even want to be a spy and then you have the buy more which is like super mundane like people bickering with each other and doing stupid stuff to each other and it really brings all of the spy stuff down to like a level level where you can laugh at it and so it makes it a comedy instead of a thriller or something else and so it's Chuck's relationships with real people and sometimes like the mirroring of his problem with the spies, like and the people at the buy more are having the same problem with each other. It's just yeah. not death on the line. Oh, it's so funny. It is really funny. Or like what's going on with his sister. Like they bring in the other characters to bring it down to a level where you can laugh at it. Another one I was thinking of as far as like disruptive stuff. I don't even know if I can talk about Infinity War because it's too new. It's too raw. It's too raw. <laughs> I just barely well, watched if you, if it this last it, weekend. If you say it the way you said it here, no one is going to know what you're talking <laughs> I about. I tried to write it in a way that was not spoilery. <laughs> yep, that's definitely why it's worded that way. <laughs> <laughs> so they're making fun of me because I'm obviously not very invested in these movies. Because I don't remember the names of the main characters. No, wait, wait. Can I read what you wrote? Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So so this is a subplot that makes a big uh, life-threatening problem. So in Infinity Wars, where the relationship between Chris Pratt and Assassin Lady (laughs) is what screws up their big fight, big purple guy bid. What is his name? Thanos. Okay, what I was trying to say is that the subplot of Chris Pratt and Assassin Lady, who I don't remember their character names... It's okay, it's okay. ...is, is what it's ruins things later. And it's not like even the big ruining thing, but it's it's something that creates a problem later. You know, Assassin Lady could easily be Black Widow, and that would be a completely different romance. You know, if they were trying to pare down the length of the movies or the number of them, that would be a good fix. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> and then you'd have a good love triangle with the Hulk, and it would be awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually something we should probably talk about, paring down your subplots. This is a problem that I have. I end up combining characters and scenes and, like, making things do double duty. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, right? How every detail should serve at least two purposes, which I think is a very wise way of saving words. So I think that's probably a good way to pare down on your subplots. Are there... Are there solutions that we have when i'm looking at my subplots i try and look at things that have the same arc if you have two like nasty teenage girl characters or like something that accomplishes the same thing or something very similar and then you just have to combine those things or scenes that do that too that's not about subplots but sometimes it is i guess you have to combine as much as you can, depending on your genre and how much word count you have. I don't think Brandon Sanderson has ever combined anything in his entire life. Some of the subplots in his books still seem like these little random asides, but I'm sure that he'll bring them in eventually. Super- and then you'll have to remember from five I, books back. I know exactly what subplot I'm hoping gets fleshed out some more. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Which one's that? Just I'm just saying in, in Oathbringer, there was some romance that I feel like 
could be revisited later and that's oh. all i'm going to say because <laughs> i don't know if that's another thing to spoil or not i don't know because i feel like all of the flags in that book were definitely towards it not being revisited because you have like whole scenes where the characters were together like alone and then they oh, didn't even God. like he didn't even talk about it he's like and then they flew to this area and it was awesome and like that was it <laughs> there's so God. many opportunities <laughs> that i'm just like he must be telling us something i think there's a certain level of suspension of disbelief where you can combine things for instance in real life it would be really unusual for us to visit a restaurant and have an important conversation with a key character and also witness the smuggler coming in but in books that sort of thing happens all the time and people just buy it so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's true our suspension of disbelief is like pretty high usually for like for certain coincidences kinds of yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well for like lots of books i guess you just assume that you're seeing like the the best of you're not seeing every minute of people's lives yeah just why on adventure stories no one ever uses the bathroom right exactly it, it, it would no take too much cared. time yeah exactly well i don't know if we've talked about how do you balance subplots so they don't take over because i did skip that first question do you think we've adequately addressed that i think if your subplot is taking over that means that it is your main plot and that you should address mm-hmm. you could you should probably treat it that way like if you're writing an adventure book and it suddenly becomes a romance book, your book is probably a romance. So you don't need to be in denial about that. It's okay. Romance <laughs> yeah. books are great. Yeah. If it feels like your plots are assuming the wrong priority, what you probably need to do is look at what your character's motivations are and make sure, because I feel like the stakes are going to kind of determine what takes precedence. So if you want to mess with what people feel like should be the top thing, then looking at the stakes will probably help. I think that's probably where you end up with characters that don't feel authentic because you have the wrong thing as the main plot. And so the mm-hmm. thing that matters most to them is not the thing in the fourth front. I'm trying to think of it. No pressure. I feel like we've, yeah, the horse is dead. I feel like it's good. Okay, the horse has been thoroughly kicked. <laughs> Let's move on to the second portion of our podcast. So a quick review of how we critique. Take a first chapter from a listener. Well, we don't take it. They submit them. Willingly. <laughs> we steal their chapters. <laughs> That's we the subplot of our well. podcast. We steal We've just been collecting first chapters and melding them into the ultimate book. Watch Unsolicited out. advice. <clears throat> anyway. That's not true. You can't sue us. <laughs> <laughs> so we look at a listener's first chapter and we give feedback that is non-prescriptive. Actually, sometimes it is prescriptive, but we try to be non-prescriptive, which means we talk about things that we see as potential problems or things that the author might be able to look at, but we try not to say this is how you fix the problem. If you would like to have a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines on our website, which is litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. So a summary for our submission today, and you can go see this on our website if you'd like to see our notes in the document, and then also if you just want to follow along to see what we're talking about. This is about a person named Skylar who travels to Ireland for a break from life, wanders into a hospital, and is gifted with a seemingly special dagger by a dying man. That was a great elevator pitch, by the way. Who wrote that? Thank you. That was me. <laughs> Things we like. I thought there were a lot of there was a lot of really good voicey stuff in here. One thing we all collectively thought was hysterical was if I could get about a million more followers, I could quit my job and live off my internet fame. That was good. There's absolutely no reason that idea would appeal to us. Never. <laughs> I really liked that two weeks off was turned into a proper noun with all capitals. I really love things that aren't proper nouns being made into proper nouns. I agree, though. I feel like the voice in this story was really, like, it was really catchy, really snappy. I really liked it, too. One of the lines that you wrote down, Aaliyah, was that he, he works in, or she, or he, or they, well, this is something we're going to talk about. The person in this, the, the main character works in a hospital and they talk about how 
like some of the things that they dealt with that week and one of them was an accidental acne medicine overdose one pill per pimple just lots of really <laughs> funny side details that were great which is all voicey mm-hmm. stuff like we're talking about yeah i feel like there's a really nice description of ireland too and it sounds like the author really knows their stuff i mean just little details about oh, i can't even remember but just cultural things that were fun um, something else. This is just reader response, but I feel like phones and taking pictures are going to be a plot point. It must be. Yeah, because <laughs> there have been so many flags about the phone and, like, the internet Instagramming. Fame and, yeah. Or Instapic. I don't know if they're, like, trying not to use the name Instagram, but, yeah. That's just reader response. So if that's not the case, those are the promises I'm getting from the first chapter. There are a lot of fun <laughs> lines. I mean, we've read a couple. One I liked was, and even more importantly, if I looked around a little, would I be able to write this trip off on my taxes as a business-related expense? <laughs> I liked when they mentioned an ex as the Deandra disaster. Lots of voicey stuff. If we're good to go on to things that might need a second look, something we all commented on was, though we love the voice of the main character, we weren't able to tell what gender they were. Do you guys want to elaborate? Yeah. I read the whole thing feeling like Skylar was a woman and that she was lesbian. Um, do you mention that significant other is named Deandra and that significant other is a girl? And Skylar's not a... It's not a male name, it's unisex. Uh, So if there was ever any statement of Skylar's gender, totally missed it. And I guess gender fluidity is a thing that could be in this book, but if it is, like, I still would like to know how to label Skylar and what Skylar's pronouns are, because I have no idea. I agree. As I was reading it, I noticed that there were no gender markers. So I wondered if that was on purpose. If that's what you're going for, if you want there to be no gender markers, then you hit it right on the head. But if it's a different kind of book than that, then just make sure that you put something in towards the beginning so we know what we're dealing with here. Because what ended up happening for me is when I try to picture Skylar doing things, I would just kind of see like this this vague fuzz because I, I didn't want to define Skylar anyway until I knew for sure. I feel like I feel like because we go the entire submission until right at the end with a dying man that we don't get any interactions between Skylar and anyone else, that we have a really good idea of how Skylar sees themselves, but not how anyone else sees them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree um, with that. So, I don't know, maybe we could argue about the importance of those two weights, but I feel like not having any of, the, of one of them is problematic. Mm-hmm. One thing that I noticed is that so the first paragraph is Skylar taking off on a plane, right? And immediately after, next, like, two, then, like, the second paragraph, the third paragraph backtracks. And I just think there should be a warning on starting by info dumping, which is kind of how I felt that this beginning mm-hmm. came off to me. Because it slows down the speed of the story because you have to catch up and work to recover all the ground that maybe could be covered in a different way. Um, So that's just something I thought might need a second look. And to piggyback off of that, once we do get back on the ground and back in the story, a lot of it's telling. So I think the main scene in this story is that he goes into this hospital. They find this man dying and get a dagger from Mm -hmm. the person. And that really only happens like on the last page. And the rest of it is kind of almost like bullet points. First I landed here and then I went here and then I was on the bus. And if you're writing a first chapter, what you're trying to do is write this sparkly, amazing thing to get to hook people on your writing style and on your character's voice. And spending all of that time just giving us bullet points is maybe not the best use of space. So maybe just think about where your story starts and where you should be starting it. I think also the idea of Skylar's mystical call to Ireland is a little hard hit here. Um, Skylar spends a lot of the time thinking about how they, you know, have have this strange feeling they can't really explain, but they just needed to go to Ireland. Um, And I think that could have been done a little more subtly with 
probably more power if it's kind of touched on rather than Mm -hmm. hammered. I I called the, we're going to run into some mystical person thing Mm -hmm. pretty early on just because the trope is so popularly used. It feels like part of what's missing is I want to know what's, what's different about this. I'm being called somewhere else and being given a thing by a dying man. (laughs) I want to know what's going to be different about it. I had Muppet Treasure Island in my head, like, the whole time. Like, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. Do you guys have any idea what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, just know it's funny. But that's what I was thinking with being gifted a thing by a dying man. This is why we need the video, because that was excellent. (laughs) About the dying man, the justification for going into the hospital felt very arbitrary and convenient that Skylar, who has left their home, and flown all the way across the ocean to Ireland to be by themselves, the first thing that they do is walk into a hospital. Which I can understand them being interested, but it just seems very convenient that they then automatically find this amazing it, person. It it's, kind of clashes with their earlier, like the whole the whole reason we're given for why they left is because they want to get away, like not just away from people, but away from their job. Mm-hmm. Like we get, it's actually a nice bit of showing where he does this mental exercise of imagining all of his job stress yeah, on I liked the runway that. I liked that. and leaving it behind. And then the first thing they do when they land is walk into another hospital. Mm-hmm. So... It's actually after a couple of bus rides and stuff, but oh well, it's <laughs> the first thing that's stuck in my. It's the first, it's the first thing, thing that, that happens. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a point where Skylar is thinking, and Skylar says, "I didn't want to admit to myself that one of the biggest things I hoped to escape from was my own sadness. I was trying to go to be really alone in order to get over my own over my loneliness. I refused to think about how ridiculous that was, and I thought that was really self aware, like more self aware than most people are. So it's not so much of a second look as like a reader response, I guess." That says a lot about Skylar and what Skylar's headspace is like. Mm-hmm. And if Skylar isn't normally this dissecting, I think this is going to be really out of place. Um, this just like hard hitting. This is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling it. And this is how I'm handling it. It's, it's not, we're not saying don't make this promise. We're saying it's a hard promise to keep mm-hmm. because someone who is that introspective is going to need to be carried out throughout the entire thing, which, which could be really interesting. Just know what you're getting into. I felt like it was a little bit more of the, this is what the story is going to be about. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. And I would love to have it shown to me. Yeah. With that, just kind of piggybacking off that, there were some points where I had trouble visualizing what the main character was experiencing because I feel we got the sights of Ireland, but I, I was craving like other senses as well, you know, touch and scent and sound, a few of those details as well. I have such a nitpicky thing. When this dying man is lying there, uh, Skylar describes the dying man's voice as a vaguely Irish accent. They're in Ireland, and I'm assuming this man is Irish, so I think it's just an Irish accent. Um, it's not vaguely, unless that means something in which uh, that case we'll find you need out. To in which, lamppost, yeah. or lampshade it. Sorry, lamppost. Like, I don't know where that You have to uh, lampshade it a little more. You have to take more. us to Narnia first. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is if it's only vague, then Skylar would need to notice it and think, why is he not this Irish? Guy have? Yeah. 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 That's really super prescriptive. There was, I'm sorry. there was another nitpicky thing that I have, and that's just that we didn't we didn't know Skylar's name until the mystical dying guy says it. And it didn't really pack a punch that I think it would have if we knew the name well enough to recognize that that was the main character's name. It it struck me as maybe something to edge away from. There is a bit where the main character mentions that they're surprised um, how much space there is in Ireland, considering how long it's been settled. That raised a little bit of a red flag for me in that most of the world has been settled. 
just not by Western civilization. <laughs> so you might want to stay away from language that implies only Europe has been settled. So this might be a spoiler for people who haven't read the submission, but... You should read the submission. You should. It's pretty good. There's this guy who knows Skylar's name and may or may not have summoned Skylar there in the first place, tries to get Skylar to take this dagger. And that part I was really hooked. I wanted to know whether Skylar took it or not. But then the scene ends with Skylar leaving the hospital, but it doesn't mention whether Skylar decided to take the dagger or leave the dagger, which... I don't know. It didn't really feel like that was like that could be really cool if it was intentional, but it didn't really feel like that miss, missing was intentional. I wondered both well because it would say something about Skylar if they took it, but also if they left it. But I don't. I didn't. But since know we which don't one know what happened, we don't know what judgment call to make about Skylar. Right. Because Skylar is so introspective, I feel like Skylar would have told us which one they did if they took it or left it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to say. Is it maybe another thing? It feels like the beginning of the story, all we get from Skylar about their relationship with their job is that it's really stressful and they want to get away. But they work in a hospital where they're, you know, saving people's lives. And we don't get concern for the people in the hospital until later when they're back in one. So, at least for me, that didn't help with character sympathy. That the only thoughts they had in relation to a hospital was, I really wish I wasn't there. I had just one other tiny nitpicky thing. When they go and see this man on the gurney who's dying... He's described as wearing a long duster jacket, and then the main character goes on to describe these big elaborate tattoo sleeves that the man has, and I was wondering how he could see them if he's wearing a long sleeve duster jacket. Maybe it's a short sleeve duster. Maybe. One of the sleeveless <laughs> ones from the 80s. <laughs> I don't know anything about dusters. I don't either. <laughs> have you guys seen... Uh, yeah, you have. Merlin, we were talking about it. Because uh, Sir, per- Sir Percival has, like, bro tank chainmail right. and yep. it's so funny to me it so maybe that's maybe. it makes absolutely no sense but there it is <laughs> <laughs> okay do we have anything else we'd like to <laughs> say we're covered all right the but the man's arms coming. are not <laughs> <laughs> okay um so next week we'll have ben grange who's an agent at the l perkins agency and if you've been listening you've heard him before he's pretty consistent on the podcast he usually comes on about once a month we will be putting up a schedule for our guests for the rest of the fall, actually, through December. So if you check that out, you'll be able to see who's coming up. We do have some fun names on here. Karen McManus is coming on. She wrote One of Us is Lying. Dan Wells is coming. He wrote the um, I'm Not a Serial Killer series. If you would like a critique from a guest, we'll put the submission window on the on the actual calendar. And then we'll also post about it on social media. So just look out for that. Remember, this one is not a video, but it is a podcast. Usually we do videos, too. We had a couple of technical glitches this week. It was more than a couple. We had, like, maybe a whole slew, a waterfall's worth. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But if you want to see us, um, we do have a lot of our episodes up as YouTube videos, so you can check out our YouTube channel. But you can listen to this also on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us reviews or comments, and it helps others to find the show. If you would like to ask us questions or tell us that we're awesome, you can find us on Twitter at Lit Service or on Facebook and Instagram as at Lit Service Podcast. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Ciao! <laughs> Wait, you need to do a British one. Uh, to the pip, cheerio! <laughs> Just kidding, they don't say that in England. <laughs>